How do you follow something like that? I was sitting there back there thinking, I thought, if that was your kid that these young kids had raised $1,200 for, you'd have been on your feet thanking God that he made a way when there wasn't a way because some of us have been there, yeah? Turn it around. Y'all know I got to have props. Mom, there you go. I knew she was going to ask me. How is everyone today? Outstanding. That's perfect, guys, right there. Yep, right there. I borrowed that table from the green room, I think is what they referred to it earlier. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, there's a seat at the table. There's a seat at the table. Yeah, there's a seat at the table. Last week, um, I wasn't here. Uh, I worked for the Army Reserve, so I was gone. And I got to see a post from Josh um, about some of what I gathered the message was. And it was in my morning um, communion with God that I was reading this, and then I saw his post uh, thereafter, and I thought, man. And then I started remembering, because I'm getting to, uh, it's been a while, but it's getting to the point where I can't remember if I'm supposed to do something or be somewhere. So I started, t I started texting Josh, and I said, man, I can't remember if I got service one day this month or not. And if I do, uh, you need to tell me what data, because I was supposed to travel in my job. I work a lot, and I travel a lot, so... I had texted him I was supposed to be gone, and he's like, no, I don't have you down, but if you want Sunday. This was like Thursday, I think it was, <laughs> because here I am trying to figure out. Anyway, so he's like, you got Sunday service. And I thought, oh, okay, this is great, because I think this is going to go along with the message that Pastor Josh had last week with this is that, for the seasons of life some of us are in, okay? 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 11. I'm reading from the NIV. David asked, is there anyone still left at the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and he had him summoned and appeared before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. And the king said, where is he? And Ziba answered, he's at the house of Machor, son of Emil, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machor, son of Emil. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, come to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you had noticed a dead dog like me? Sorry. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. 
And all the members of Ziba's house were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king table. He was lame in both feet. That's a pretty good story. As a young boy, I can remember um, traveling around with dad and, and my siblings and whatever it was, um, sometimes we'd go with, with a large church crowd, most of the ones that have been around forever, Nanny and, and all them, and they would all be piled in Ford Escorts and Plymouth Station Wagons and all the equipments in the back of it, and everybody would just, you know, get together and we would, we would travel to go here later on what dad uh, would call um, Manchild and Company, and, and everybody would sing. Well, I remember doing this at a very young age before a lot of, of the other singers like Joey and Becky and all them come with us. Now, Becky was with us. Joey just hadn't arrived in the picture yet. And, and Becky would be on somebody's lap and Tasha would be on somebody's lap and then Carrie would be on Mike's lap and whoever was there would be on somebody's lap and we'd all, and, and Barbie and Red would be in their little S10 with their five kids in the back of the truck headed that way. That's the way we traveled. And when we would get somewhere to go sing, it was the Buntons, which were Carrie, Holly, and Josh. And then it would be Karen and Jim would sing, and then a few other people would sing, and then Dad would get up to sing. Now, I realized at a very young age that Dad didn't call on me to sing. And I didn't understand why I wasn't, I'm talking about a very young age. I loved going. I loved being there. I loved carrying the equipment and getting to wrap cords because it made me feel apart. But I realized if my dad can do it and my siblings can do it, I should be on the stage. Who's ever been there? I'm by myself. I have, I have Becca. I, there you go, girl. That's my battle buddy right there. I'm not speaking against dad or my brothers and sisters. Okay? Here, here I'm going somewhere. I promise you I'm going somewhere. The musicians had everything they needed. The drums were set up. If it was Ronnie playing, all the way up to years later, I was the guy carrying every piece of equipment in for the band one in my 72 Ford truck with a camper top on the back and knew I didn't need you to do anything for me but get the equipment to the truck. I knew the puzzle, the Tetris pieces, and how they fit in the back of my truck. And Josh is just going, will it all fit? Go back in. Talk to people. I got this. Did I not? For years, every time I traveled with this group, I got a ticket. Josh could be in front of me doing 90 mile an hour. I pull out of the church and blue lights are behind me. True story. Every time we went, I was headed from the house to come get the equipment at the church and got a ticket on my way to get the equipment. I called Josh and said, I ain't carrying your equipment no more. I, mean, I keep getting a ticket. And I wasn't speeding. You know, I just, I got pulled over. And I guess they thought maybe a 72 orange truck going down the road with $40,000 worth of equipment just didn't look right. So I'm the guy that got pulled because Josh was in a nice trooper and everything else. So, so while it looked like I hadn't done my part in that season of life that I was in, I was fulfilling the purpose for later down the road. I'm going somewhere, I promise you. You know, people would be running and shouting and, and going to the altars. My dad would, you know, all of them would see. And then, you know, dad would get up and you'd hear him. He put flowers on a hill. You know, 
And then he'd sing, God's not dead. And people would just, I mean, just laid out in the altar. I remember as a little boy going with dad somewhere, and, and a man was in a wheelchair. He was standing over here, and his foot was gone, if I remember right. And the foot grew out to toes, and he got up and walked across the stage when dad was in the background. Just looking, I remember those things happening whenever we would travel. I don't remember whose service that was. W.B. Grant. It wasn't until years later when we lived on Midway that I heard a song by Robin Massey that just got me. You know, it just absolutely took my heart. And I told Dad I wanted to sing it. He said, well, when you get ready, we'll see if you can sing it. Which means you're going to sing it in front of him before he puts you on the stage. But he was too busy to work with me at the time to get me prepared onto the stage. So I asked Carrie, my oldest sister, to teach me to carry a tune. Now, it sounded more like ducks rubbing together, you know, than it did good music compared to what I'd heard my brothers and sisters who could sing in harmonies most people hadn't heard. You know, the offset harmonies that are now all popular, they were learning then. And so I knew that there was a level that I was expected to be at that I wasn't prepared to go to yet. But it was in my blood because I'm Tony Button's kid. I'm Josh Button's brother. If he can do it, I can do it. See, mom pushed Josh like, you can do it, son. You can do it, son. And, and what it did, it reverberated out of her mouth into my ears because Josh, who I watched win state championships in soccer, and, and I remember playing a basketball game on Midway. I was young. I was real little. I was nine when we moved there. So And, and basketball wasn't really my thing, but I was coerced to play every day that we wasn't doing something else and we were playing against my sisters and I was not very tall but I was strong so Josh would stick me to the bottom of the goal and say get the rebound Jeremy get the rebound not knowing I didn't know what a rebound was I remember this and after the game, he come over to me and and he sat down because we were drinking water out of the hose there at the barn and he said Man, you got to get the ball. When the ball comes off the goal, you've got to get the ball. You get a hold of it. And if you can't go back up strong with the ball, pass it back up to the top. It was only he and I. There was nobody else to pass it to. Because I was playing against Holly and Carrie, who at that time in my life were bigger than me. They were stronger than me. They were able, but I learned in that season in my life how to rebound. Because somebody sat down. Some of you are in a season of life of rebound. You're rebounding from where you've been. See, I, I knew, I think it was, I've got it written in my Bible at the house. And I, I meant to look it up. I've got a Bible mom and dad gave me in 1984. It's black. It's, got the, it's one of the ones with the red pages that's falling apart. And in there, mom wrote in there, dad had prophesied to me that I'd be a prophet to the nations at a very young age, five and six years old. We were at the church uh, off of Park Drive. What's the name of that? Rayon Street. The church there on Rayon Street when dad gave me that word. And I knew then what I was supposed to do in life. So me, being Tony Button's son, thought that meant next Sunday I got service. Because I had Eaglet Church and I had a faithful Rebecca there every Sunday to listen to me talk while Stilts was in the barn playing with us. 
I thought it meant because the word was given to me then, I was supposed to be on the stage the next Sunday with a guitar, with a microphone, giving the people the same Jesus I'd heard Tony Button give for so many years. I thought that was, I thought I was prepared. So and, and Joshua also, he said, man, you got to use your body. And I'm like, Holly's picking me up and throwing me. I can't use my body. Carrie's 10 times stronger than me. I'm not, I'm not able. He said, that's fine. If you, can make, if you can't make that pass, get it back to the top. Get it out to me. And so I, you know, years later, I realized either he was really bad at hitting the shots or I was rebounding a lot. And I thought to myself, maybe he's just teaching me what he's asked me to do. He's missing those shots on purpose because in my life, Josh was my hero. He could do it. I'd watch him do it. I'd watch him get hurt to see how I wasn't going to do it. He'd jump on the trampoline, break his arm. I'm not jumping with Mike Jenkins. Too easy. I'm done. <laughs> Becky? Barbie? I, I would watch Josh and Tony do stuff on, on a zip line with a knot in the middle. And I'm trying to process. I mean, I'm not just talking about like from there to here. I'm talking about like from here to where I park at the end of the parking lot with a set of handlebars off a, off a bicycle and get stuck in the middle. And I thought, if I cut that down and go to that tree, there's not a knot. I'll make it. And then Dad had to tell me, don't you do it. It's mainly because his ladder got broke and he had to take Josh to the hospital. Anyway, some of you have rebounded from cancers. You've rebounded from abuse. You've rebounded from rape and being ostracized. You've rebounded from being illiterate. You've rebounded from your divorce. You thought wasn't coming. Most people don't understand when they come in and the music's loud and we're all dancing before the Lord. They don't understand the rebound season from the shots of life that we've taken. The rebound came from God when he made a way when there seemed to be no way. And for most of us, it didn't look like we were going to be sitting where we were sitting, but God blessed you to get there anyway. And it was only because of God that we are where we are today. David had been prophesied by Samuel that he was going to be king. As a little boy, it had been years since that prophecy, and he's still not king. These things are taking time. Saul's dead. David's not king. Jonathan's dead. David is still not king of Israel. He's only king of Judah. Sometimes God will give us a word, and for some it's taken a long time for it to manifest. The Bible says, though the vision tarry, wait for it. In the end, it will speak and not lie. David could have assumed that Samuel missed it. And, had the, and, and though he had the anointing on his head, he did not have the position. Some would say he had the anointing, that, that he had been anointed but not appointed. For me, I knew that I was Tony Button's son. And at that young age, he would reveal to me that I'd be a prophet of the nations and be able to show compassion in ways like Joseph. He used all those words. I've got it written down. I felt like I had been anointed but not appointed because I didn't stand on stage the following Sunday. This took time. Saul is dead. 
Jonathan has died and David is still not king. David had become the king of Israel and Isbosheth was king of Judah. Uh, uh, excuse me. David had become king of Judah and Isbosheth was king of Israel. Who was Saul's son? Because the nations were split. That nation was split. And during Saul's reign, the Bible says that David's house became stronger and Saul's had become weaker. There was a shift coming to the nation of Israel. In order for the word of God in your life, there will be a lot of things that you have to move in. There will be a shift. I can tell you that at a young age that I thought I was ready to go into the world after my dad told me that. But the fact of the matter is, I thought I was ready for the stage that God had planned me for, but the stage was not set yet. I just knew about it. I had been informed that this is going to happen at a time in your life. Be prepared. Not knowing that if I had just done like David and tended the sheep because that's where I was supposed to be, then that's where I'd be because Samuel anoints David. He goes back to the flock. He's still watching sheep. In his head, he's trying to process, I'm supposed to be king of Israel. And yet he keeps tending sheep. That wasn't my thought idea. I thought I was supposed to have Sunday service the following Sunday at 9. Um, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> the circumstances that God had planned for me in my life that will catapult me into this stage he had prepared had to be set up first. Everything Josh said in the green room, he used the word catapult in there. Here it is again. Everything Holly had said earlier, he's using here again. Everything Christian had said earlier, he's using here again, which just tells me God knows what he's doing because he used four different people who hadn't talked about what we were going to say this morning, and the same words are coming out of our mouth. God's about to do something for some people in this building. If you will hear what he's about to do, I'm telling you. Because, again, the circumstance that had been planned in my life about what God had purposed me for and that what it would catapult me into, that stage had not been set yet. Yet. David had won the heart of the nation because he was able to defeat the enemies that withstood them. And David starts to connect the house of David with the house of Saul. He says, I want my wife back. I want Michael back. She was married to another woman. And, and Abner, the servant, Saul's the one that was controlling um, Abibosheth, goes and says, hey boy, you got to get rid of her. King David wants her. He cries on his way, walking her to the end of the field. And Abner says, get lost. There's a purpose for this. Because David knew that if he had connected to two houses, the people would love him. Abner dies, the one who had been doing all these works for David to bring him into the kingdom. And David wept for Abner because of the deals that he was going towards the throne. It took time. So after this time of, of getting things in order for David to take over as king. There are no overnight wonders. You miss the days. They were rebounding and taking care of sheep in the field. It takes all of your life to prepare for glory. The weight is so heavy you have to be prepared to stand up to the weight God's about to put on your life. 
The gifts and talents are not a knife, not enough. The weight at which God will put on you when he gets you to the next stage he's prepared. See, David is weeping behind the casket of Abner. And the people of Israel saw David and how he wept for Saul's brother and they were endeared to David. They drew closer to David because they saw the love that David had for a family that had chased and tried to kill him. And yet David's walking behind the casket weeping in sorrow. You can be legitimate on paper, but if you're not connected by your heart, your title's not good enough if they don't see you as their leader. People will choose their king. You can appoint whomever you want, but the people will choose the heart of the one they see. See, David humbled himself, and his house is getting stronger. David was able to serve more than himself or a stronger shape than, or a stronger house. See, God chooses people by their heart. See, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. God knew what he was doing. David knew what was going. If your heart's in the right, God can get your head on straight for the place he has for you. See, some of us, like me, God has told you as a child, you're starting to see stages set for you to speak or play music. Some of the things God whispered to you years ago, you find yourself on a stage that has finally, in your life, in the season you're in, been set. Some people had to die. Some things had to shift. But God is getting ready to do something He told you to do a long time ago. And that stage is now set. God is setting the stage because He has set you apart and called you for such a time as this. Be not weary in well-doing. For you shall reap in due season if you weep not. God has selected you as a child and God has not forgotten you. God had to shape you. God had to make you and break you. But you are about to see a season and things are about to come forth in your life. There's a rebound and a seat at a table. David asked, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to? He wanted to show kind. Sometimes you have to be doing things as a lamb, not as a lion. Christ didn't redeem us as a lion. He redeemed us as a lamb. And David calls Ziba, the servant, and said, is there anyone left? And Ziba says, only Jonathan's crippled child. And he's down in Lodabar. This brings us to the only person left that has a rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Saul's dead. Jonathan's dead. And the nurse picks up Mephibosheth and takes off running. And while she's running, she drops the five-year-old kid and breaks his feet, cripples him for life. He would have been king, but he was lame. He would have been living in the house that David now has residence in, but he was lame in his feet. He would have sat on his father's throne and been the rightful heir, but he was lame in both his feet. Some of us were carried by someone we trusted, and we got damaged in the process. Damaged for years, nervous for years, traumatized for years, emotionally crippled, ankles crippled, thoughts crippled. Right mind crippled, health crippled, finances crippled, family crippled, children crippled. 
and you've lived in Lodabar. Lodabar has two meanings that stand out among the rest. It means a place that has no pasture. And yet David has been led into green pastures as the king of Judah. Lodabar also has a meaning of no communication. Because when you get dropped hard enough, you can't talk about it. Hear it. You don't tell anyone. It stopped all of your communication going in and coming out. Wow. Trapped in your own head in Lodabar. Going to work in Lodabar. Got married in Lodabar. Had children in Lodabar. Wearing those nice stilettos in Lodabar. Never told your story. What would people say if you told them, it's not my fault I'm like this, with crippled feet living in Lodabar? I wasn't born like this. I wasn't born in Lodabar. Somebody dropped me. There are people in the room who would have been CEOs, deans of schools. They would have been at the top of their class, but they were dropped. And their feet became crippled at five years old. And they've been living in Lodabar because they can't communicate with what really happened to them. Mm. You've been in silence because you can't say nothing. Because the silence is as painful as the fall. But today, I'm going to break the silence. The silence is brought by shame. And if I can break the silence, I can break the shame that's on your life. God is about to do a new thing in your life. You're the right person, but you've lived in the wrong place in Lodabar long enough. Mephibosheth had been in Lodabar so long, and David says in the King James Version, go fetch him. The only time I heard that language when dad said, go fetch me a switch off that tree. So I understand what it means. That means it cannot come by itself. Somebody's got to go get it. Go fetch him, bring him to me. Mephibosheth is a grown man, but he's got a five-year-old problem. Some of you today are grown and you're still dealing with the situation that shouldn't hold you back, but somebody dropped you. The truth of the matter is you couldn't get out of Lodabar by yourself. And David says to Ziba, Ziba, the servant, where is he? And he says, Lodabar, God knows exactly where you are. Every, everyone else might have forgot about you, and everyone else might have dropped you, but the Lord says that he has waited for such a time as this. I know where you're at. I know that you were dropped at the age of five. I know you were sent to Lodabar to hide. I know I don't look as good as the rest of them. I know I don't stand above the rest like Saul did and Jonathan who were good-looking men. But I still have the king's blood inside of me. I'm still Tony Button's son. Sometimes you don't feel you are where you come from. Look at your neighbor and say, I've lived in Lodabar long enough. And though I've been crippled since I was dropped as a little boy, I will let, not let my problem from my childhood distract me from the seat at the king's table. 
I came to fetch you out of Lodabar today. Because some of you today have lived there so long that you think that's your place of residence. You've become comfortable with knowing that your problem as a five-year-old has followed you into your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and you're okay. And God said he wants to break the silence of no communication with the thing that happened in your life all those years ago. And he has sent me as your Ziba to True Vine Worship Center to tell you the king has requested your presence. And you have a choice in today that God says you can live in Lodabar and stay there. Or you can get on your crippled feet and say, who am I but a dog that the king would call me to his table to eat? How would I make it when I get there? Jesus has set you up for a time such as this because this is that that Pastor Josh talked about last week. This is your time to fight your way, to crawl your way to this table. This is your time to realize that whenever you get to the king's table, when you thought your life was over, see in Lodabar, or, or yeah, in Mephibosheth's head, he thought King David summoned him to take his head because he was the end of the reign of Saul. The enemy has convinced you that you have been called, but if you take that step to go sit at the master's table, if you take the step to go to the king's table, something's going to happen to you that has crippled your mind for years ago. It has held you back. You've not communicated. You've not done anything. There's no been laying in green pastures. There's no been fresh water coming to your soul. But I'm here to tell you today, I'm here to fetch you out of your Lodabar. I'm here to tell you that God knows exactly where you're at. And I'm here to tell you that there's a table set before you in the presence of your enemies. And King Jesus sits at the head of this table and he says, Barbie, come out of Lodabar. Barbara, come out of Lodabar. Brian, come out of Lodabar. Madison, come out of Lodabar. Kim, come out of Lodabar. He knows where you've been this whole time. He knows what you've been processed through. He understands your mindset. But he wants to remind you that when you get before the king and you take your seat for the rest of your days in Israel, the Bible says that King David looked at him after he said, I'm just but a dog. He said, but the servants are going to give you things you didn't work for. Things are coming your way that you didn't know were headed your way. Y'all said it in the worship this morning. God's setting you up to let you know if you'll just get your butt out of Lodabar and find the call from a Ziba that will find you at a table that's been set before you all the days of your life. It doesn't end when you leave the service. It doesn't end when you go to work tomorrow because for some of you, work is Lodabar. For some of you, going home has been your Lodabar. Some of you were carried by people that you loved and that you trusted all those years ago and you felt like you've been crippled you knew you were supposed to sing you knew you were supposed to preach you knew you were supposed to teach you knew you were supposed to be a mission missionary to the nations but something along the way dropped you and has crippled your feet and you couldn't get to the table here i am I'm your Ziba showing up today, says the king summoned you to his table, letting you know that when you get there, not only is he going to feed you every single day at his table for the rest of his life, he's already got provisions that you didn't work for. This is that.
See, everything around you may feel like you're crippled, but you're about to step into something at the master's table. God says you're about to step down into a press down, shaking together, running over, supernatural blessing. Mephibosheth asked, who am I? I'm just a dead dog. And the king thought, I'm just a king's kid that thought he was a dead dog. He's in the right place with the wrong attitude. And David said, I already made allowances for you. King Jesus said, I've already made a way for you. A man after his own heart. I've got a blessing you're not qualified for. And I made provision for the blessing I called you to come sit at my table. Well, you got, I, I can hear the father, just come sit at the table. And watch the provisions come through. This is that. I'm going to read a post by Josh. This is the year some of you will walk into that new home you've been believing for. And declare, this is that. Because you're out of Lodabar. Some of you are going to find new employment and declare this is that. Because you've come out of Lodabar. Some of you who have dreamed of a new business are going to find yourself thriving in the new business and declare, this is that. I'm coming out of Lodabar. What held me back when I got dropped all those years ago has not crippled me anymore. I've got a seat at the table. There are some roots in here, and you've been waiting, good God, I'm waiting for your Boaz. And this year, you're going to turn around, and there he is. And you'll know in your heart that this is that. I'm talking about some Jobs in here who seem to have lost everything. But God says, I'm going to give you back double what was taken, and you can declare this is that. Because when you get to the king's table, not only do you get to partake, the Bible says that King David looked at the servant and said, he will eat as the king's sons eat at my table. And King Jesus says, you've got a place at my table, and here you are seated, and you get to seat because you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ who made all things new. You ain't got to worry about tomorrow you just got to worry about today and God's about to catapult you into the next thing get out of Zodabar Lodabar I'm talking to some Davids who have been faithful with the sheep in hidden places but God is going to elevate you publicly and you'll say this is that remember David's heart is what kept him inside the kingdom because he remembered he was a bastard child taking care of daddy's sheep and now he's sitting on the throne. David could have cut his head off and yet he said, I'm going to show compassion for your daddy's sake. I'm going to show you compassion for daddy's sake. And King Jesus is saying today, that he took away everything that you could imagine on his cross at Calvary. And that daddy's made provision for you to sit at the table with him. It's not Josh gets to sit at the higher chair or mom gets the higher chair. You're sitting at the same table as everyone else in the room. And he's made provision for you. Because things are about to come in your life you didn't work for. I'll take it. I'm looking for some Joseph who have been betrayed by those closest to you for jealousy's sake. But this year's God's going to take you from the pit to the palace. 
And when those that betrayed you see you're still wearing the coat of favor, and, that, and because it saved you and them, you'll remember the prophecy and declare this is that. So I'm telling you today, if you feel like you've been in a place of Lodabar, if you feel like through life's challenges, and some of us, we've put ourselves in that crippled state of Lodabar, that we don't communicate, that there's been no green pastures. God said he ain't, he don't, it don't matter to him why you're in Lodabar. He wants you to know that you've been fed at a Lodabar to come to his table. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not, but if you will play William, whoever you want to play in on the keys. I feel this strongly. I'm not telling you you got to come tell me, but I'm telling you if you will bring that silence of Lodabar to this king's table and bring it before him, whatever it is, if it was when you was five, if it was when you was 10, 20, 30, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I don't think you're in your 80s yet, Rich, so we're good. So whomever it may be, it feels like you're still in the state of Lodabar. And you know deep down inside that there's been a stage set for you. And that you have a purpose, you have a calling, you have, you have destiny, you have the king's blood in your veins. But circumstances from then have made you have a mindset that you are not worthy or that you can't make it. And the king sits at his table that says, I've made a way. Get out of Lodabar. Get out of the miscommunication. And begin to speak to the Father. If that's you, come forth. I'm not going to pray with you. If you're in that season, if you're in the season of feeling like, you, you know, you were left out or that there's more for you and you hadn't quite reached that mark, this is that. Come get your this is that. Anybody. Thank you, Father.